Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, Courtney. Good morning. Glad you guys are here today. We've got a lot of great stuff going on in the life of our church. I don't know if some of you are smelling what I'm smelling. We have this uh, college dinner happening in the next service. So if you're a college student, we want to meet you up here in the training room. For the rest of you, sorry that you have to smell that for the next 40 minutes or so. But uh, if you don't have a Bible today, we want you to follow along. Our ushers are going to bring up some Bibles. If you raise your hand, they'd love for you to be able to follow along. We want you to be in in the Word today. So if you didn't happen to bring one, keep that. That is our gift to you. Bring it back with you next Sunday, and you can start using that um, as your Bible. We'd love for you to do that. You know, I'm glad that we're in this series here on love uh, and what love does and how love acts but it can be kind of overwhelming when you look at all the opportunities that there are to love people in our world. When you watch the news or you scan the internet or you kind of keep up with what's happening, it's hard to not get discouraged by all the tragedy that our world faces on an every single day basis. You know, when you watch and you follow along, you know, we've kind of forgotten about it here in Indiana, but there are families still uh, in Houston and in parts of Florida and in Puerto Rico that are living in devastation and trying to figure out how to put their lives back together. There are families in the West Coast, in California, and some of the Western states that are struggling with wildfires ravaging through their communities. That's hard for us to understand. It feels like it's so far away, and it's easier to not think about it. Here in America today, there are 17 million children who won't have enough food to eat. Here in the richest nation in the history of the world, 17 million. Worldwide, there are 50 million refugees right now living in no home, with no home, no place to call home, 50 million people today. And any day on the news, we hear that our nation and other nations could be sucked into a major war that would have catastrophic consequences for lots of people. And that's just the world's news. Then you kind of put together all of our news that we see on our social media feeds and through our newspapers locally and just the friends that we know and the circles of family and friends that we have. And it seems like there's just always tragedy and hardship and crisis in so many people's lives. Here in our church, a church our size, we have someone's crisis that we hear about, a report, almost every single day. And to that family, it's a big deal. And it's a huge thing. This past week or two weeks ago, I had to travel into Pennsylvania to be with my family. My parents are transitioning now being forced to transition into a new stage of life that came a lot quicker than any of us were ready for or expected because of their health. And maybe this past week you heard about some friends that you thought, man, they will be together forever married. And maybe you heard that they're getting a divorce. Or maybe you have a really good friend whose child was just diagnosed with some life-altering disease. This past week, I sat with a woman here in our church, a godly, dear, dear woman. And we talked about how she is transitioning to a new normal without her husband, who passed away very suddenly after they'd been married for 36 years. And she's still very young, and he was incredibly young. Trying to figure out what life looks like now in this 
season and stage for her. Everywhere we go, there is some incredible crises. And because of the speed of social media and the internet, we have so much information way faster than we ever, ever had it before. When I was a kid, I didn't know what other kids on the side of the world were facing. I didn't know what they were going through. And in some ways, it's great to have all this information to the world has become so much smaller. But in some ways, it becomes incredibly hard to bear all the information and all the news and the devastation that's happening on all corners of our globe. And God gives us hearts that feel and emotions that empathize. And we're in this series of messages on love and Jim is preaching compelling messages because we're Christians and we're supposed to care about all these things. And it's very easy because all, for, for us to feel that all this information is just washing over us every day, every day, every day. And it causes us to feel, what's the word? Starts with an O, ends with an elming. It, it becomes overwhelming. It becomes overwhelming to hear all that is happening. And when we feel overwhelmed, the greatest temptation in our lives, when that happens, our defense mechanism is to do one of a couple things. We either just sort of tune it out and ignore it, or we become numb to it and just shut out the outside noise. I I can't take anymore. I can't take any more bad news. I I, I can't deal with someone else's problems right now. I'm just going to put in my earbuds and listen to Pastor Jeremy's GCC weekly worship playlist and forget that everything else is happening. And by the way, if you haven't downloaded the GCC weekly worship playlist, you should. It's really good on Spotify. I listen to it almost every day when I'm doing my God time or I'm working out. It's, it's really good stuff. But God, it's like he knew. It's like he knew that that would be our temptation to do that. That that would be our response to try to shut it out, to put in our earbuds, to ignore it, and to forget or become numb to the suffering of other people. Because the author of much of the New Testament, a man named Paul, he writes in this letter to the Galatian believers called Galatians. You can turn there if you'd like. I'm going to show a verse up on the screen. But Galatians chapter 6, there are two key verses that I think help us when we're thinking about what we're talking about today. Paul, who writes much of the New Testament, wrote this, these verses to these believers. Take a look at Galatians 6, 9. It tells us, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It's like God knew that we would become weary of doing good. What's well, because he did. 
Now, the context of this particular verse is that we are to live morally right. We are to do the right thing. We are to live righteously and not give up that kind of living. But I think the truth also applies to what we're talking about today. The principle is also true. God knows that we can become weary of all the crisis and all the hurt that we see and feel in our world. But he also knows that we can't just stick in our earbuds and ignore it. We can't just pretend that sex trafficking is not a real thing. We can't just tuck our kids into bed and believe or choose to believe that every child in our community is doing great. We can't put our heads in the sand. We're not allowed to do that because we are followers of Jesus Christ. We cannot become weary of doing good. We must become engaged. You see, love... The kind of love that we're talking about, the kind of love that does, that we're focusing on in this series, that kind of love helps to carry the burden of another. Another person that can't carry their burden on their own. See, we believe as a church that the local church is the hope of the world. We believe that Jesus has strategically positioned us all over the world to impact our world with the love of Jesus. We believe that Jesus wants us to live lives that really matter and really count. And that if we were to be gone from this world, there would be a void because we are impacting people. You see, we don't exist as believers for what happens here on Sunday mornings. This is not the pinnacle of our church week. This is simply the launching pad for all of us to be personal representatives of Jesus Christ this week, wherever God has strategically positioned you. You take the church with you wherever you go, because you are the church. This is a building. This is not the church. And so you are positioned where you are, in the neighborhood that you live in, in the job that you find yourself working in, in the family that you are in, in the sphere of friends that you are in, on purpose to be on mission with the, with, with the love of Christ. It's a lot more powerful when I can get it out right. Thank you. You and I are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. And we are to share the good news. The mission statement of our kingdom is to take the good news about Jesus Christ and his love to every person that we meet. That is why we exist So how do we take this love? How do we take this calling that God has given us and not feel completely overwhelmed by everything that we see? Well, that's where Paul addresses that in Galatians 6. Because in verse 10, he gives us the key. Galatians 6.10, he says, Therefore, as we have, say the word with me, opportunity... 
let us do good to all people. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. This is a critical verse. We, are, we can't become weary in doing good. That's what verse 9 says. We can't give up doing the good that we're supposed to do, impacting the world that we're supposed to impact. But then how do we not become overwhelmed? Paul says, well, here's how. Therefore, the way that you don't become weary in doing good, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. All the people in the world, that sounds overwhelming. No, all the people in that opportunity that God gives you. See, we aren't to care for all of the problems in all of the world. We are to care for the ones that God gives us the opportunity to care for. Our role is not to solve every world problem. That's too big of a job for us. It's not your job. It's not my job. That's someone else's job, and only he can do it. My job is to take the opportunities that God does give me and to respond to those to do good in those opportunities. See, God knows that we have limited time. God knows that we have limited resources. In fact, he's the one who tells us to take care of the things that we're taking care of. We're doing very important things when we care for our families. We're doing very important things when we take care of our responsibilities. God tells us that. There's a lot of scripture that teaches us, tells us to do that. And we're supposed to be those kinds of people. He knows that. But our responsibilities, while we can't neglect them, they are not a free pass to do nothing and to not get weary in doing good to others. It's not a free pass. And so God will sometimes then bring you a specific opportunity. And you can respond within your means and within the capacity that you have. You can do something. Because Christ does call us to love that kind of way. And the kind of love that Christ calls us to love people, that kind of love helps to carry the burdens of another person. We have to care about other people as much as we care about ourselves. We have to. One author, Pastor Andy Stanley, has coined a phrase from this passage, and, and uh, we've said it here before. I've heard Jim say it several times. It's been so helpful for me to know how to respond to all the needs in the world and not become overwhelmed. And here's what he says. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. You can't respond to everybody, but that shouldn't stop you from responding to one person. I don't think that God wants us to say, well, it's not fair. If I help this person, then I can't help this person. And that's just not fair. I don't think we should hide behind fair and end up doing nothing. I don't think that's how God wants us to live. I, I, I feel overwhelmed. There's too much. There's too much need. I can't well, that shouldn't stop us then from solving one person's problem. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. It's not fair, and that's okay. Because it's not your job, it's not my job to solve everybody's problems. That's God's job. 
It's not my job to solve every problem in our world. I can only fix the ones that are right in front of me and the people that are right in front of me. I can get involved in their lives. Paul says to do good to those when you have the opportunity. To do for one what you wish you could do for all. And it's interesting that he's the one that writes these verses in Galatians 6 because he learns these principles firsthand. We're going to look at a story today. Turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at a story today where Paul learned this type of love by receiving this type of love. Acts chapter 9 verses 26 to 28 we'll read in a moment. Before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul. Have you ever been born with a name that you don't love? You can just change it. Paul did it. Saul did it. It's biblical. When he was Saul, he was a really bad dude. He was a religious zealot that believed so much in his religion that he would arrest and he would kill others who believed differently. That resonates with us in the world that we live in today. We know people that are like that in our world. That believe so, religi- so, zeal- uh, so religiously in their religion that they would kill those who believe differently. And at the end of Acts chapter 7, he oversees the killing of a Jesus follower, a man named Stephen. And there's this interesting verse, if you flip back a page to chapter 8, verse 3, about Saul. It says, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. He was a bad guy. And on his way in chapter 9, he is on his way to arrest and terrorize more Christians in another town. And he meets Jesus in this incredible experience on the way there. And his heart of hate is transformed into a heart of love by the gospel. And Jesus transforms his life. You think you know someone who has no hope of God transforming their life? You read the story of Saul. There is nobody that is beyond Christ's love and beyond the power of the gospel. So he is on his way and Jesus meets him there and his heart changes. And this change takes place. And after Paul, after Saul changes, he has a hard time making friends. His old friends want to kill him because he doesn't believe their way anymore. And now he is actually one of the people that they were trying to kill. And now he goes and tries to make new friends within the group that believes in Jesus. And they're like, no way, man, we don't trust you because of who you were. And so he is an outsider, accepted nowhere. And that's where we pick up today. Would you stand with me and read Acts chapter 9? We're just going to read 26 to 28, three verses all together. Here we go. When he came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. 
He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can have a seat. And so Saul comes to Jerusalem and here he is and they are not sure that they can trust him. And you have to understand the context. The church of Jerusalem was where Saul had murdered the man Stephen that I talked about a few minutes ago. Stephen was a deacon in that church, someone who served faithfully for a long time, and people loved him. He had impacted their lives personally. And so then when Saul takes his life, it becomes understandable maybe that a few weeks later, a few months later, they're not ready to accept back into their group this man who had murdered one of their best friends. They had a hard time even believing that Christ could change someone's life that much. No doubt Barnabas, this man who stands up for him, was Stephen's friend as well. But God somehow placed Saul on the heart of Barnabas, who stands in for him right here, as we just read. And God sees, Barnabas sees Saul through eyes that God somehow gives him full of grace and forgiveness. Saul was someone who was hard for the church in Jerusalem to love. And oftentimes the people that God puts in your life, the one person, the cause that God's going to put in your life to love and care for, it might not be a person that's easy to love or care for. But that should make sense because if they needed a burden, helped to, if they needed someone to help carry their burden, then if they didn't need that, then they would be easy to love. and It wouldn't be a burden. They wouldn't have it. But the people that God is calling us to love, the kind of love that God is calling us to is difficult love. It's hard love. And that's what Saul was for Barnabas. It was difficult for him. It wasn't this easy thing that he was taking on. Sometimes the people that God puts in our lives that we need to love are difficult to love, maybe because of choices that they've made like Saul did. Maybe they've hurt you or they've hurt other people and it's difficult to love them because they're not very lovable. Sometimes though, the people that need the most love aren't in that situation because of anything that they've done. They're simply in a hard situation because of other people's mistakes or other things that have been done or just the circumstances of a broken world that we live in but that still makes them difficult or hard to love. Everything changes, though, for Saul in this verse. Jesus had transformed this man's heart, but here is where his reputation begins to change, and it's because of one man. Take a look at verse 27. Let's read 26 again. So when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. He tried to say, hey guys, I'm here. I'm on your team now. I'm one of you. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. I don't know if you've ever told someone the truth and they didn't believe you and they wouldn't believe you, but it's really difficult to take. It's really difficult to take. 
And so Saul is in that state where they won't believe him. And he is legitimately changed. He is a different person, but they won't give him a chance to prove it. And then these powerful words at the start of verse 27. Read them with me. But Barnabas. But Barnabas. Those two words, the two words that are most powerful in all of the scripture are the words, but God. When there's a situation all throughout the scriptures where there's a situation that is completely hopeless and completely there's no chance for any good to come out of it, but then God comes into the scene and turns it all around. That happens over and over and over again in the scriptures. That's happened over and over again in our lives here in these rooms. But God. But here's the thing though. The way that God most often shows up into those dark, hopeless situations is through his people. And the way that God showed up in Saul's life in this moment wasn't God himself. It was through Barnabas. And the scripture says, but Barnabas stood up for this man. And what our world needs, what the hurting people in our world need are stories where a person's life is hopeless, but then Jim stepped in through the power of Christ. But then Amy stepped in through the power of Christ and everything changed in this person's life. But then Josie stepped in in the power of Christ and everything changed in this family's lives or in this child's life. That's what our world needs are stories of God's people stepping into hopeless situations with the love and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and making a difference and making a change. There are a lot of unwritten stories. They're only halfway written and we're never gonna see the end unless we step into them with the love of Jesus Christ. That's what Barnabas does right here. These words are powerful, but Barnabas... Saul had nobody who would believe in him. And we fast forward because we've read the rest of the New Testament. Some of us have. Maybe you've been in church for a while and you, and you know all the things that Saul, who becomes Paul, does. And we forget it could have all been shut down right here. Saul had nobody who would believe in him. He was on the run from his old friends who wanted to kill him. Nobody would accept that this change was real, but Barnabas. And this love wasn't easy for Barnabas. He was putting himself at stake. This kind of love that helps carry the the burden of another is never easy. You take on risk. You take on liability. You take on hardship. You take on crisis. Barnabas wasn't just saying, yeah, I'll vouch for this guy. Now he was putting the trust that everyone had in him on the line for a former murderer. And he was taking this man under his wing. He becomes the advocate of someone who was not able to speak for himself in this situation. Look at verse 27. Let's read the rest of it. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Those are the leaders of the church. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of 
Jesus. Now, it's interesting. Barnabas, he didn't just sort of blindly believe Saul. He had done some research. He went to check out the situation to make sure that it was true before he put his neck on the line. He wanted to know that there was, there was some legitimacy here to this thing. But even though it's difficult, he's willing to take on Saul, and he goes before the apostles, the leaders of the church, and he speaks up on his behalf. I can't tell you how many people in our world just need someone else to speak up on their behalf. I can remember being a 22-year-old kid, pastor, finding myself in the leadership of a church plant and a training center in Philadelphia. Many of you have been to Urban Hope. Tara and I were married for one year. We certainly didn't know much about life. And I would often find myself feeling incredibly overwhelmed and undeniably unqualified to lead that ministry. But I believed that God had called me. We believed that God had called us, and we were supposed to start and lead this inner city work. I remember one particular time when I was so discouraged, I sought out the counsel of another pastor, the man who had married Tara and I just a year earlier. And as we sat at this, uh, this little diner, I poured out my heart to him and shared how discouraged I was. And he suggested that I start coming to the Grace Church's ministerial network to begin to build friendships with other pastors and to, to leverage their experiences that they had as being more seasoned than me. I, as I sat there, I said to him, do you think that I will be accepted there? Because the church hadn't really started yet. I was just a 22-year-old kid, and I wasn't really a pastor yet. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, John, I am telling you that you can come to the meetings. And if anybody says anything to you, you let them talk to me, and I will handle it. I can't tell you what that did for my spirit that day. It still makes me emotional to think about it. I walked into that diner so low and walked out so high because somebody was willing to step up and be an advocate for this guy. There are people in our world that just need someone to step up and be their advocate, to speak up for them on their behalf because they feel like they don't have a voice and nobody will listen to them. The love that we're talking about helps carry the burden of another. It doesn't just care about its own burdens. Do you know anyone whose burdens are too great for them to carry on their own? Have you ever been in a place in your life where you needed someone to step up for you? And maybe they did, and that inspires you to do it for someone else. Or maybe they didn't. But let that still inspire you to do it for someone else. And look at what happens to Saul because Barnabas takes on his burden. The end of verse 27. Bar Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and he debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. 
Now Saul is the one who's being persecuted for his past. He is the one who was the hunter, and now he is the hunted. His former colleagues, the Jews who were trying to snuff out this Jesus movement, were not happy about his change of heart. This wasn't a quick help for Barnabas. It's important that you and I understand that when we love the way that God wants us to love, it's not a quick thing. It's not you just show up every once in a while. It's not you just give a little bit of money. It's not you just give an hour of your time. It's a big investment to love like Jesus wants us to love. The kind of love that we're talking about. The kind of love that we need to have. It's not the typical American kind of love. But it's the kind of love that Christ is calling us to. Barnabas took on Saul for a long time. And you know, Saul's troubles weren't over quickly. Real love takes patience because often lasting change will not happen overnight. And watch this. Sometimes patience is needed because lasting change will never come. Some of the burdens that we are supposed to help others carry never, ever go away. Saul was never, never able to run away from his past. He was always hunted. He was always beaten. He was always jailed over and over throughout the rest of his life. And you know that Barnabas was jailed and Barnabas was beaten throughout his life. And most of the time, it was because he was an associate of Saul. He took on this man's burden because he too was preaching fearlessly the name of Jesus. When we love someone and we help carry their burdens, we need to recognize that some of the burdens that Christ has called us to carry may never go away, but that person still needs someone to get in there and help them carry that burden to do some of the lifting. When Christ tells us to love people, he doesn't just mean only when we're on a mission trip. When Christ calls us to love people, he doesn't mean only when you're officially in a church volunteer capacity. When Christ calls us to love people, he doesn't mean when we're specifically or officially on some kind of clock. These are great experiences that we do and we commit to and they stir our hearts and they train us and they propel us, but they propel us to do the real kind of loving that Jesus is asking us to do every day in our normal lives. It takes really digging into a person's life and simply walking with them. One of the most powerful stories in the Love Does book that we're all reading is the very first one where that man says to Bob, I'm with you. No matter what, Bob, I'm with you. It's a powerful story to simply walk with someone and to carry their burden. And so my prayer for you, for each of you, is that you will see that one person. That you will see that one group of kids, that one person who is struggling physically, that one single parent, that one elderly couple, that one neighbor, that one marriage that is struggling, that one coworker that needs a lift up, that one local agency, and that God is going to nudge you when you see that one, and he is going to whisper to you, that's your one. That's where I want you to get involved. That's your person. That's your group of people. 
And remember, we don't feel bad that we can't help everybody. God doesn't call us to do that. He just says for those where we have opportunity, God will put someone in front of you. And let me give you three tips to finding your one. <laughs> to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Number one, go deep rather than wide. A lot of times when we take on too many causes or too many people, we're not able to do the hard lifting that we need to do for the one. And a lot of times we have a passion for a group or maybe for a cause, but we never actually get down to caring for one person because we're helping everybody or because we're giving to everything and we never actually get involved in the life. I'm talking about the everyday life of someone who needs someone to be with them and advocate for them. So go deep rather than wide. I'll never forget staying on the corner outside of my house there in Philadelphia and standing there with one of my mentors, Ed Lewis. And I was so jazzed up. I was telling about how God was going to use this to reach the whole city of Philadelphia. Man, how, what, this is what Urban Hope is going to become. This is what we're going to do. And he said, really? Wow, six million people. I said, yeah, I know it sounds like a lot, but man, I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to reach the city of Philadelphia. And he pointed over and he said, how about that man there on the corner? What's his name? And I said, I don't know, Ed. He said, why don't you go start with him? Sometimes we get so filled up on helping everyone that we don't help anybody. We don't get involved in the life of one. So don't just be generally concerned about a category of people. Go deep with someone. Wide is easier, but deep is where the change happens. Barnabas didn't take on every young Christian dementor. He took on Saul. Maybe God really changed your life in high school. Or maybe high school was an incredibly difficult time in your life for you, and nobody did get involved. And so maybe God has given you a passion for high schoolers. That's awesome that you care about high schoolers. That's great. Do you know what you got to do? You get involved in Axis, and you care about five of them. You pour into five of them. You get involved with the Boys and Girls Club and you pour into a few. You go deep rather than going wide. Or maybe God has gifted you. You love elderly people. You love that. That's great. Maybe adopt one couple in your neighborhood that you will spend a lot of time with them. Or go to Greencroft and pick one hall that you will go and visit on a weekly basis instead of just loving everybody and not end up loving anybody. Go deep rather than go wide because deep is where the life change takes place. And the way that the wide will take place is because if you love this person, these few people really deep, then they're going to impact others who are going to impact others and the wide will eventually come. But it's not up to you and that's not your job. Number two, number one, go deep rather than wide. Number two, go long-term rather than short-term. This is a big time commitment. When God nudges you and it's just not a category anymore, you don't just care about single parents, but now you care about Rhonda and you care about her two kids, Ricky and Mason. That's when it begins to have flesh and you need to go deep with that family, not spread yourself out. You need to not short term, but go long term. In short term, you might see some things. You might be able to come back to the church, slap a couple high fives because God did some stuff through you. But long term is where the real life change happens. Long term is where God's going to really use you and teach you about himself 
the way that he really wants to through that person. When God puts a person in your family or family or organization on your heart, you go for it with them and you stick with them. Go deep rather than wide. Go long-term rather than short-term. Number three, give time, not just money. Give your personal time. It's awesome. We're rich here in America, and that's fantastic. We are the richest nation in the history of the world, and I believe that God has, has positioned us to be able to support lots of great causes here in America and around the world. And it's great that we can send money, and we should, because that's our responsibility, being so wealthy. But something changes when instead of just writing a check, you also can see and touch the face of a real person. Something changes, something is different in your heart when you care, and it's not anymore just our kids at Asia's Hope. When I went on my first trip, they're no longer just the kids, because now I know their names, and now I know their stories and who they are. And my love and value of them is much greater and much higher than simply the check that I write. Something's different when you give someone your time. The old adage is still true. How do you spell the word love? T-I-M-E. People know that you love them when you spend time with them. As a pastor, I have the privilege of, of being at many funerals. And I gotta, be, I gotta tell you, what people talk about at funerals is not about the times that somebody gave them a lot of money and how it impacted them. What people tell stories about is how you spent, how that person spent time with them. How that person spent time with them when they needed them. That is what you and I will be remembered for or not remembered for. Not about how much we gave. Who are the people that God has put in your way? Who are the people that God has given you that opportunity to you, to reach? Do good to all people in that situation. You can't help everyone. That's okay. That's not your job. But your job is to help love the people that God has put in front of you. Tonight is the 127 Kid Fair event. This is something that Tara and I are passionate about. She's been posting about it all week long. We are passionate about tonight. And the reason that we're passionate about it is because of the way that God has changed our family through our adopted daughter, Emery. We have three wonderful biological kids that have taught me and taught Tara some incredible things about life and about God, and we are better people for knowing each of them. Emery is the same way, though. God has taught us some incredible things, and she has impacted us in incredible ways. We had always talked about adopting ever since we had gotten married, but Then our three biological kids kind of came so fast. Before we knew it, we were playing zone defense. (laughs) Before we even knew how to play man-to-man. And we were overwhelmed, and so we we took a break. My sister and her husband have adopted four kids, and so it's a part of our family. We have a a very multiracial, multicolored family, and and that was normal to us. And a couple years ago, probably about five years ago, we picked up a book that many of you read, and we read, and, and in that book... This author was talking about the problem of, of orphan care around the world. And the 40 to 50 million orphans around the world seems like an overwhelming number. Until this author said this, 
You take those 40 to 50 million kids and you then take the number of people that are Christ followers in the world. And he said, if one out of every seven Christian family would adopt one child or foster care one child, there would be no orphans in the world. One out of seven. When I read that, that just stopped my heart. Because that's not an overwhelming problem. See, God hasn't called all of us to adopt or to foster, but he has called one in seven of us. The reason that I know that's the call is because that's the need, and the need is the call. And I remember Tara and I having those conversations where we said, I, I, think, I think we could take one more. I think we have room in our hearts for one more. We can't adopt 20. I don't even think we could adopt two, but we could adopt one. And that's where God began to take us on this journey. And you know, it's not always easy having a younger child when we're trying to chase our bigger kids and all their stuff as well. We get some funny looks sometimes because it's pretty obvious who in our family is adopted. That happens when you have two redheads marry each other that have three biological redheads and then you have one African-American daughter. We usually don't have to tell which one is. And you know, our budget is tighter than it's ever been. But I'm telling you that it's a blessing and it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be Emery's dad. Maybe God has called you to be one of those seven families needed, but maybe he's not. That's totally okay. There are other ways to care for kids from hurting places, and that's what tonight's about. It's not about adoption or fostering, although there'll be organizations here that can give you information about it. We have several organizations, over 12 of them, that are going to be here to give us information about how we can get involved in other ways, by being a mentor, by being someone who steps in and becomes an advocate for kids right here in Elkhart County that needs someone to do that for them. But maybe it's not kids. That's where God's burdened me. God perhaps has given you a different burden. But my prayer for you is that you will see that one person, that one group of kids, that one person struggling physically, that one single parent, that one elderly couple, that one neighbor, that one struggling coworker, that one hurting marriage, that one local agency, and that God is going to nudge you and whisper to you, that's your one. And my prayer is that you will say, yes, Lord, I'm in. You see, love helps carry the burden of another. So be willing to go deep. Be willing to go long and be willing to give your time. If everyone would do that, do you know that it would change the world? It would change the world. But even if it doesn't change the world, you can change the world for one person. And I can tell you that it will change your world. Lord Jesus, I pray that today you would burden us, Lord, to carry another burden. Lord, that we would pick up the, the person, God, that you have placed in front of us that needs your love, that needs your gospel power. God, I pray that we would be a church that responds the way that you responded to our need. Jesus, I love that you were willing to leave heaven and come to earth, that you carried a burden for us that we could never, ever carry ourselves. And you took it all the way to the cross. And God, you give us forgiveness. You wipe it out. And you continue to carry us every single day of our lives. And God, that is what compels us. And that's how I know that we have the strength to carry the burden of another because you carry us. And your power is perfect. 
And so, Lord, sometimes we're waiting for someone else to respond. We're waiting for some kind of miracle. Lord, Paul or Saul would have been waiting there forever, but you showed up in the form of a man named Barnabas. And God, I believe that there are situations where you are ready to step up, where you are ready to jump in. You are on the edge, waiting to get involved, and you're just waiting for one of us to jump into that situation, and you will rush in through us. God, I pray that that happens today. In your name, amen.